It's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing investment and financial planning advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs, who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Why not call Doug, Linda, and Deborah right now at 919-860-9783 with your financial planning questions. That's 919-860-9783. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. And we are the Lewis family, ready to answer your questions tonight. This is Linda Lewis, and thank you for joining us on Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. Well, Doug, Linda, you know, a common scenario is if you've just inherited some stocks, you may not know what to do. So if you're listening tonight, and this is your scenario, your situation, here are some things that you need to know once you've just inherited some stock. Yeah, most people have a pretty good idea of how to handle inheriting a family member's heirlooms or cash or even real estate. But when stocks are inherited, it can get a little more complicated. The heart of the issue with stocks is they mix the emotion with the financial. Some may inherit shares in a deceased parent's longtime employer. I've had clients like that. And they feel a sympathetic attachment, even a guilt of letting go of that stock because dad worked for that company for 40 years. And that beclouds a sound financial decision. Then others may have no idea how or when or where to sell the stocks and what the tax implications of doing so may be. So there are some things that we can recommend for people feeling confused about a recent stock inheritance. First thing, do nothing. Some who inherit stocks might feel the urge to act quickly. The market moves at a rapid pace, so selling right away could be a natural impulse, especially for those who have never owned stocks before. But you've got to fight this feeling. It can take some time for the estate to settle, and you have a lot of other things going on aside from just the finances. Maybe you're dealing with the funeral, or dealing with the relatives, or the reading of the will. The early phase of an inheritance can be a financially vulnerable one, too. Sometimes that's the time when certain unscrupulous characters show up. It might be someone who is uh, calling themselves a financial planner, and they might just be a salesman, commission-based, and they might be trying to pressure you into selling your stocks and buying financial products that you don't have uh, any need for and that might not even be good for you. So if someone is pressuring you uh, or hounding you to get out of this uh, stock or move out of this investment quickly, be very careful. Do nothing. So you've inherited some stock. That was the first thing to do. Do nothing. What's the second thing? Well, the second thing you need to do is to figure out your tax liabilities. An important early step is to calculate what the potential tax liability of selling inherited stocks may be. A common misconception is that some people fear they're going to be taxed significantly on the appreciation of the stock over the lifetime of the benefactor. 
Well, that's not true. Federal capital gains taxes take into account the growth of a stock only from the time that the benefactor died, not the date that the benefactor bought the stock. That's the so-called issue we keep talking about every year, I mean every uh, Sunday on the air about the step-up rules. But the executor of the will needs to make sure that the basis has indeed been updated. So the second thing you need to do, if you've inherited some stock, after number one, do nothing. Number two is figure out your tax liabilities. Have you seen the Lewis Financial Management website? It's easy to get to, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. You know, the next thing you need to do, you need to make a plan to sell because after calculating that tax consequence in general, it will probably be a good idea for most people to sell those stocks that they've inherited, especially if you aren't a sophisticated investor and you don't have any individual stocks or maybe you've never owned any individual stocks at all. Inheriting only one stock as sometimes happens, or a portfolio of stocks dominated by shares in a single company, comes with the danger that holding on to that one particular stock can overexpose an investor to the fate of that company. And you just may not know about it because you might have never owned stocks before. So in our experience, most investors need to diversify, which could mean buying into a product that involves a broad basket of securities. Again, just as Doug was saying, we're much more concerned with managers who are buying baskets of securities. That's right. That's right. So here we are. You've inherited some stock. The first thing you do, do nothing. Go slowly. The second thing you do, figure out your taxes. And the third thing, you make a plan to definitely sell. And that plan, by the way, should be done with the help of someone like myself, a certified financial planner who is a fiduciary required by law to put your interest first, or someone like my daughter, Deborah, who's a certified financial planner. But then the fourth thing is to fit the money in with your larger goals. A big mistake that beneficiaries make with stocks is selling them and then failing to incorporate the cash into a larger set of financial goals. Very wise. Yeah. What investors of stocks should do instead is just ask themselves a set of questions such as, what are your goals right now? Do you have an emergency fund? Do you have high interest debt to pay off? Have you gotten maxed out on your retirement plan contributions for this year? Addressing these types of issues should be very should be every inheritor's priority. That's right, Doug, because the thing to remember is that the if you've inherited stocks and you have them now in your possession, you need to deal with them, you'll realize really quickly that your goals and intents for your financial future are probably very different than of, of the person who you inherited them from. Well, from what we've seen, a lot of times when you inherit money, unfortunately, your parents or friends probably didn't have as well organized a financial plan as we would recommend that you have. And a lot of times, it's a smattering of random stocks and bonds that when you look at it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for you. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Ken, you there? This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? Hi, Doug. I've heard constantly about tax-free 
real estate transfers. Right. I wonder if you could explain about that a little bit. Uh, how old are you, Ken? 50. You're 50 years old, married or single? Single. You're single. And do you have any idea what your living expenses are running? No, I don't. How about your income? I don't know if I want to go into it. Maybe you could just explain what the procedure is, and that would be helpful to me. You move one piece of real estate from yourself over to another individual. You, uh, instead of buying and selling directly, you use a third-party exchanger so that you don't take constructive receipt of the money. And then your money that you're going to get goes back to another individual, and that other individual turns around and gets the money and instead gives you the, other, the, the second piece of real estate. So you end up with another piece of real estate instead of your first piece of real estate very often, uh, it's an income-producing piece of real estate. Let's say that you know you've got a piece of raw land that uh, you'd like to sell, and it's worth a half million dollars. You can go ahead and exchange that for another piece of real estate that's now producing uh, nine or ten percent cash flow, and you avoid the capital gains tax on your first one. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Do you have real estate? Some, yes. So you are possibly looking at unloading some of your real estate? Possibly. Because uh, another vehicle that you could use, right, Doug, would be a charitable trust. Yeah, it works much better in many cases. And we've done a lot more of those than we have the uh, the tax-free exchanges. For many people, they don't want to end up with a second piece of real estate. They want to sell their first real estate and end up with a hunk of cash. But they don't want to pay the capital gains tax. And the reason they want the cash is they want to invest it in mutual funds, stocks, bonds, etc. And that's where the NIMCRUT strategy works much better because you don't have to end up with real estate. You know, and depending on what the value of that piece of real estate is, if it, if, you know, if it's really appreciated, then you could transfer that asset into the trust. It may or may not be worth it. How much gain are you, are you facing uh, losing? Like, what's the cost basis in your property, Ken? It'd be very low. All right. Oh, okay. So you got a minimal basis. And what's the value of the property you're thinking of exchanging? About 240000 All right. So if you're facing 240000 the reason I mention that, if it was only a $75,000 piece of property, it wouldn't be worth the charitable trust strategy. What you can do, you can use the concept of controlled social capital and pay no capital gains tax using the charitable trust strategy. And that's the one that we prefer in many cases. You know, Ken, there's a brochure that we have available um, that I can send to you free of charge. I'll be happy to send that to you if you'll, uh, if you would call the office during the week. What's and, that number? Yes, sir. That number in Raleigh is nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. That one nine USA seven thousand. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks for calling. You know, Ken's call produces a lot of questions in my mind because the two issues or the two strategies of selling real estate tax-free are just what he said, he and I talked about, the 1031 tax-free exchange method in which you exchange one piece of property for another piece of property and you don't have to go ahead and uh, pay any taxes. And that's section 1031 in the Internal Revenue Code. And we have done a number of those through the years. The second method is the charitable trust strategy in which you actually sell the property and get cash and then you invest the cash 
in a whole portfolio of usually mutual funds, liquid investments. So in the 1031 tax-free exchange method, we're delaying the liquidation pushing the road, the kicking the can down the road, so to speak. And the risk is still high because all of your money is in that one piece of real estate. Whereas the charitable trust strategy allows you to go ahead and sell it and get a diversified portfolio. And so there are pros and cons to either strategy. We do both of them. We've done charitable trusts. What was the first one we did, Linda? What year was that? 1990. 1990, we did the first charitable trust, and it was a piece of real estate. It was actually Linda's mother's. Uh, she had, an, uh, yeah, it was her mother's property, and that was the first one we did. Through the years, we have done many, many like that. We've also done some Section 1031 exchange program. But the real question to you out there listening is, do you have a way to evaluate the pros and cons of either of these for your situation? That's why you need to come and see us. Call in a, our offices for an appointment. We will have a face-to-face meeting with you, and we will help you walk through the pros and cons of either strategy of selling your real estate tax-free. You know, Doug, Deborah, I, I remember one of uh, uh, our listeners called and had a situation, and you know, he's a senior citizen sitting on probably uh, uh, some real estate that was uh, maybe one million or more. And he called and he said, I would like a little bit more income. And it was, uh, you know, a win-win situation because this person eventually, uh, because of, you know, his his situation with his wife, and they had no children. But they were able to use this charitable trust strategy to sell the property, invest the proceeds, and then produce income for themselves for the rest of their lives. And it's still happening. You know, I want to at least bring this subject to the attention of our listeners because this is the time of year that many universities... And charities are sending to uh, the uh, the public invitations to do a charitable trust, but the one strategy that they're recommending we don't approve of, because in that strategy it's also a charitable trust strategy, but they take control of your money. Yeah, and that would be the the biggest part that we are against. Yes. We don't want you to lose control of anything. The whole right. idea would be to gain more control. Yes. You know, you lose control when you have to consider selling something and paying a huge amount of tax. Well, I've lost control of that money. I can't do anything with it. So I, so if I'm losing control in that regard, we, we're not going to recommend a, a different type of loss of control. We want it to always be a situation where you maintain control or keep more control. Control over more. Have you seen the Lewis Financial Management website? It's easy to get to DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. Well, are you listening tonight and are you someone who is about to retire? If you're like most Americans approaching retirement, you're probably thinking, I've put in my time in the workforce and I'm ready to move on to the next chapter of my life. But Before you make your retirement official, there's something you ought to know. No matter your financial circumstances, there's a good chance you'll need more savings than you think. Yeah, you just can't 
bank on Social Security. And you need to underscore that in your mind, because if you think your Social Security benefits will be enough to sustain you in retirement, here's a little bit of bad news. Social Security is only designed to replace about 40% of the average worker's pre-retirement income. This isn't just a random estimate. That's from the Social Security Administration itself. They explicitly state that the benefits it pays to you are not enough to fully cover most expenses of senior citizens once they stop working. Most Americans need at least 70% of their previous income in retirement. And if you're hoping to travel or pursue a similar, uh, similarly expensive hobby, then you'll probably need even more. And that's why every future retiree should save or invest independently rather than counting on Social Security alone. Well, Doug, if you needed 70% of your previous income in retirement, let's say you were making 150000 That would mean that you're going to need about 105000 to cover those same living expenses in retirement. So you're right. You can't just count on Social Security. And you've got to figure out a way to make up that difference between, let's say, Social Security was 30000 and you needed 100000 to meet 70% of your income pre-retirement, pre-retiring, then you would need to figure out a way. That's why people meet with certified financial planners, how to find that 70,000 income. Those are the numbers we're running every day in our office. We are helping compute those exact numbers for clients so that you can know where you are. Are you able to do it now? Will you be able to do it? We are in the world of numbers and our numbers that we're working with are your numbers. We are certified financial planners. We are fiduciaries. We put your interest ahead of our own. Most importantly, we do not try to sell you any investments. We give you advice. That's right. Call us at Lewis Financial Management in Raleigh, Wealth Management in Comprehensive Financial Planning since 1983. That number to call is 919 919- Nine eight seven two seven thousand. That's nine one nine USA seven thousand. This is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you? Yeah, I'm interested in uh, charitable remainder trust. We're a two career couple with no children. Two career couple. How old are you? Uh, forty nine and forty six. Forty nine and forty six. Your income and hers. Uh, one hundred and fifty. A hundred thousand and fifty thousand. No children. Right. Okay. Now, let me ask you a couple of uh, devil's advocate questions, for example. Sure. What is it that attracts you, and what do you, why do you want a charitable trust? Usually, I'm the one recommending uh, them. I, I would like to leave a significant amount of money to a university in the name of my father. All right. Outstanding. Now, the charitable remainder trust is, in my opinion, and I think Linda would agree with me, the most powerful financial planning tool available today. It can do about four things at once. You have to really walk carefully through the arrangement to make it work right. But the first thing you can do, and the, fir- and the only thing you ought to be careful of, is learn who not to do it with. You want to not make the trustee the charity. You want to be the, char- the trustee yourself. So we want to set up a charitable remainder trust. How, uh, are you thinking of transferring real estate or cash or securities? What were you thinking of putting into this trust? Uh A combination of things, Uh, a real estate partnership. uh, Can't do a real estate partnership. What else? uh, Cash. You can do cash. Uh, Securities. You can do securities. Uh, And you can do real estate. You can do real estate if there's no mortgage on it. Okay. And uh, 
and uh, life insurance. I uh, can't do life insurance. There are special rules on doing life on on giving life insurance to the charitable trust. That's okay. a tricky one. Right. About how much are you are you, are you thinking of putting into this charitable trust? About half. Uh, All right. You can. Here's what you can do. Number one, and you want to work with a financial planner who is experienced in the area of charitable trust. But number one, we want to establish a charitable remainder unit trust, and I would recommend a NIMCRUD. They come in different flavors, if you will. There is the charitable trust called the straight charitable trust. Then there is the net income charitable trust. And then there's the net income with a payout provision or an IOU account. And that's the uh, makeup account, the M of NIMCRUD. So I would use a NIMCRUD. We establish this charitable remainder trust. We make it a NIMCRUD. And we identify you as the trustee. So you're going to transfer from your own name this half million dollars of assets into your name as trustee of this charitable trust. We're going to then identify you and your wife as the income beneficiaries for the remainder of your lives. You now then will be paying yourself income for the rest of your lives. So that, and you will control all of the investments in this NIMCRUD. The key to establishing it is the payout rate. Since you're young and your income is high, and I presume your expenses are not $150,000. Uh, All right. If that's the case, then we want to set the payout rate as low as permissible by law. And the reason is the amount that grows inside this charitable trust will grow into the millions at your age. Not only is it going to give you a tax deduction on your income taxes, then you're building up what's called an IOU account, the makeup account, inside this charitable trust so that, let's say, 10 years from now, when you're 59, you can start to pull out as much as two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000 for yourself and for your wife uh, for retirement income needs as you see fit according to your makeup account. The key is the trustee. The other thing is I would advise you, do not make your charitable beneficiary irrevocable. You can change the, 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 the beneficiary as many times as you want during your lifetime. Does that kind of help, David? Yeah, it helps a lot, Ms. If you would like some further information on this, you can call us at the office in Raleigh. And that number is 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. Okay. And we'll be happy to send you some information. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for calling. I really like getting a call like that. You know, not many people even know about the charitable trust. So it's usually we who are advising to use one. But like, I forget the poet, Deborah. do you remember who the poet was that said, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing? Drink deep or taste not of the Pyrian spring. I don't know. It sounds like Mark Twain, but no, 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 no. <clears throat> I think it was a British. Oh, well, anyway, have to look it up my, later. <laughs> all right. My point is, a little knowledge is dangerous. Now, many people know enough about charitable trust, but not enough to realize that they are irrevocable. Which means once you've set it up, you can't change it, and it's going to last for maybe 20 or 30 years. Right. There is a standardized trust document or format given to us by the Internal Revenue Code. It's right there in the code. You can actually just download it if you want, but that's not the best kind of trust document. Right. Because, all right, here's a little quiz question. Is a trust a human or a non-human? Non-human. Very good, Deborah. All right. Linda, if a trust is a non-human, then how do I give something 
to a non-human? Well, um, you have to set up a document. I can't give it to a document, can I? Well, you give it to an entity that would now have a tax ID number, which would be similar to being... Entity can't sign anything. How does an entity sign? Oh, so I see what you're, where you're going. <laughs> okay, so this non-human needs a human. That's exactly the point. Okay. The non-human, which is a trust, mm-hmm. needs a human to sign the papers. Right. What's that human called? A donor. Trustee. Or a trustee. The trustee is the crucial as a person here. Individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the trustee is the one that signs the trust. Well, it does everything, The really. trustee, the they trustee controls the it. follow the instructions that's, of the document that Linda was just talking about. That's exactly right, Deborah. So okay, could, yeah. so now we come to the matter of trustee. The trustee is the one who runs this thing for the rest of your life. So let's think about this. Okay. David wanted to give something away. All right, half million dollars of so real those estate. Are the instructions, right? So, who does he give it to? He's giving it to the university, but who's he giving it to today? He gives it to this trust. Well, trust is a non-human. That's right. So, who signs that I received it? The trustee. The trustee. Of the trust. All right, the trustee becomes the crucial player. There has to be a trustee, but you have to be very careful who who you select as trustee. Now, who's the most trusted person that I can give something to right now? Myself. Myself. If I could somehow be the trustee and give it to myself, then I'm pretty sure that I'm not going to be cheating myself. Or that I'm going to follow all my own desires and wishes and everything's going to go the way I want it to be done. Very good, Deborah. To follow all of those wishes that I wrote when I, as the donor, set up this trust. Does the IRS tell us who can be the trustee? No. There is nothing that the IRS says. It just has to have a a trustee. trustee. That's right. So there is no provision that says you can't be your own trustee. Which is very powerful. Which is very powerful. Unfortunately, 90% of the charitable trust documents that I have seen after they've been done and brought to me, are not self-trusteed and it cannot be changed. They're usually, the trustee is going to be the charity or the trustee is going to be a bank or the trustee. A bank or a... Right, right. So first thing is we need to go ahead and said, we we have to go ahead and and get that trustee in place. First thing in your trust document. All right. Now, let's back up here just a moment because we okay. are having a discussion for our listeners. By the way, I just remembered who said a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. It was Alexander Pope. Good job. All right. <laughs> All right. All right, go but ahead. Yes, hey, somebody go must have Googled that. Thinking about your financial future. Do you have questions that need answers? For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Here we are talking about charitable trusts right? and setting up a, a 664 trust where someone gives away an appreciated asset like stock, or real estate or a business or a business and do what Doug well the question backs up to why do I want to do it why do I want to give it away and it's very simple I want to give away that stock or that business or that real estate 
because if I sell it, I'm going to pay a lot of taxes. But if I could set up a trust and give it to a trust and let the trust sell it, it's no tax, which means all of a sudden there's a whole bunch more money. Now the human that runs that trust is the crucial player. So that's got to be myself. The rules of the trust then say this trust run by this trustee will take the money and invest it and pay an income from the trust to the income beneficiary. And, you know, you're bringing in two new players. So here we are talking about trusts and the real usefulness is, well, as part of education tonight, let's talk about the people who are involved in setting up a trust. So we've, we've named the person who, who gave the thing away. That's the donor, the grantor. And then we've named the person who's going to run this thing that is a non-person entity, and that's the trustee. And then you just mentioned the beneficiary. Who's going to benefit from it? Right. You're exactly right, Deborah. We have the donor. That's the person that owns everything and is trying to set this trust up. Okay. Then we have the trustee. He's going to follow the instructions of the document. And written by the donor. Written by the donor. And the most important thing now is the document says there's got to be an income beneficiary that the trustee pays. And who should that be? That should be me. That should be me also. Yeah. So me wants a giveaway to me to tell me to turn around and pay Give me, me money. There you go. All right. Sounds All right. like a good deal so far. Sounds like a great deal. Let's make it even better. Okay. All right. But there How about some- if I go ahead and say I want to get a tax deduction this year for giving to this me? Can I get that? You can. I can if there's one condition in the document. And what is that? That it goes to a charity in the end. That at the end, after I die, whatever is left Left in this thing, and that's the remainder word of remainder trust, whatever is left in this thing after I die goes to a charity. Okay, so now we've gotten it pretty powerful. I get a tax deduction this year for doing it. Does that tax deduction uh, get repeatable, or is it just in the first year? Actually, there's a yes and a yes to your answer, to your question. Yes, it's all used the first year if you can use it. Okay. But if it's such a big tax deduction, (laughs) then you get to carry it over for five more years after the gift, which means you can spread it over six years, which makes it very powerful. Thinking about your financial future? Have questions and need answers? Call Lewis Financial Management for a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis at 919-872-7000. That's 919 USA 7000. Let's use some numbers, okay, okay, to make this a little bit more understandable because okay. it's great to have the education, but for all of our listeners, let's use some numbers. Go ahead. So let's say someone has a farm that's worth about a million dollars okay. or more. All right. Okay? Now, or, or a business. They, maybe okay. this family inherited the farm from their grandparents. Okay. And they are business people. So... If they, they don't sell want it, to do. Yeah, they want to sell it, and if they sell they it, already, they can end up having to pay who knows, maybe three hundred or four hundred thousand dollars in North Carolina and federal taxes, capital gain tax, all kinds of things. Because whatever the accountant told them, it's going to cost you between three hundred and four hundred thousand dollars in taxes if you sell it. But instead, you could set up this charitable trust and name yourself as the trustee and, and transfer the asset out of your estate. Well, you just give it from yourself to where you owned it, to this trust, which the trust owns it. And now the trustee, which is also you, 
has instructions. But by giving it to this trust, you're going to get a tax deduction of maybe $100,000 on your tax return. And as I just told Deborah, if you can't use the whole $100,000 because you're always limited by how much charitable deduction you can use according to your adjusted gross income, you can spread the rest of that 100000 over five more years. Okay, but now there's one condition here. The condition is that a charity has to receive it at the end. I told you at the beginning that a trust is, this kind of trust is irrevocable, can never be changed. So how about the charity? Can the charity be changed? Is that what you're asking? That is the question. Most people think the charity can never be changed. No, the charity can be changed. That's correct. If the document says so. Says so. It gives it that ability or that... that, um, uh, Flexibility. No, there's actually a word uh, that... that, like when you give a trust a power out of, oh, what is it, in the document itself, you where know, we can change right. it. Okay. All right. Let's leave Linda's Well, I flex- remember because okay, we had I set that up you. a charitable trust and you did we were able to change the beneficiaries. I mean, you can always That's the one you did the for change. your mother many, many, many years ago, right? And she had a, ch- a charity she wanted, right? Did she ever change it? Yes, we did. I mean, we did change the charity. Right. So, uh, so for our listeners, if you set up a charitable trust and you have designated a charity, you can always add on other charities if you want to add to the list, and you can subtract. Only if the trust document gives that permission. Exactly. So now we have... Now we have to have that provision built in there. So it becomes the most powerful of all financial planning tools to be able to go ahead and create something that benefits you, avoids all the taxes if you do it right. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Thinking about your financial future. Do you have questions that need answers? For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. You know, Doug and Linda, the health care costs for retirees are usually going to skyrocket. We all know that health care can be a major financial burden for seniors, but you could wind up facing even higher costs than expected. In fact, new data tells us that the average healthy 65-year-old couple retiring this year can expect to spend a total of $377,000 on medical expenses throughout retirement. And that's just for healthy people. If you have a medical condition or suffer from generally poor health going into retirement, then you can expect that number to climb. Another thought is that these projections don't take into account expenses like nursing home care, which could cause your costs to double or triple. If these figures sound scary, it's because they are. So you'll need to give us a call because you're going to need to know how much savings is necessary to combat these expenses that you're likely to face. And if you don't feel prepared to manage the cost of managing your own health, then you know now is the right time. Yeah, it, this, this, this whole topic reminds me of what is so wrong about buying an annuity. Yeah. 
If you think that buying an annuity is going to solve your problem, you're also assuming that your health care costs are not going to increase throughout the year, retirement right, years. Right, right. You're assuming that your travel costs are not going to increase. Mm-hmm. You're, you're assuming everything is going to stay the same. But we know from our experience with clients that that's just not the case. You do not want to be buying annuities if you're expecting your expenses to be rising in the future. So now's the time. Doug, is that because there's no liquidity? That's part of it. If you need to get some of your money out of that annuity, once you have turned that annuity into a nice, safe income stream, that's called annuitizing. Once you've done that, then you also have signed away the right to ever dip in and get an extra twenty or 30000 out of it. You just can't do that. And if the day after or the week after you bought that annuity for maybe $300,000 and you found out that your grandson, God forbid, just had a terrible accident and your kids, his parents, need financial help and you wanted to get a $50,000 out real quick, you couldn't do it. You can't get it. So the lack of liquidity before annuitizing and the, uh, the, 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 the fixed income stream that cannot be growing after annuitizing, both of them are Huge definitely, not well, to- yeah, they're not financial planning tools. They're not. You know, and that underscores that you just might outlive your savings. There's a reason 60% of older Americans are worried about running out of savings in retirement more than they're even worried than dying. There's a frightening number of near retirees who are grossly behind on savings. You know, Doug, you pointed, you made a really good point because in in a recent survey, an estimated 30% of workers 55 and over have no retirement savings at all. That's shocking. It really is. And of those that have begun saving, more than 25% report that their balances are less than 50,000. That's even more shocking. It is because, you know, that might be a good start, but that's nowhere near what you're going to need as an older worker. And that, in fact, is why many Americans are considering this and worrying about this because they know they're going to live longer now than even their parents did. So all in all, the real focus should be you can't do it alone. You need to know what you are going to need during retirement. You're going to need to know that you're going to be able to uh, make enough money, have enough money coming in from your investments, from what you've saved. And the only way to really know is to meet with a certified financial planner like myself, Deborah Lewis, or my father, Doug Lewis, and find out what are your real numbers. That's where you begin. This is what I have. This is what it can produce. There are certain financial planning principles that have been set forth, and they really do work. Don't they, Doug? They really don't do. they, Deborah? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've seen it over right. the last we, few we decades. Seen, right. <laughs> and, you know, Linda, I'm glad you said that because there is not a single client that we have had over these last 30-some years that it has not worked for consistently works. The principles, they work. They really do. You know what's interesting is that the uh, word fiduciary is really catching on. For years, you know, financial advisors who act in this fiduciary capacity have tried to promote awareness of their services and our code of ethics. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Scott. Yes. How are you? I'm fine. How are y'all? 
Welcome Hi, Scott. to the show. Welcome to the show. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? Uh, I have a question about the percentage to contribute to my employer's 401k plan. All right. Uh, how old are you, Scott? 32. 32 years old, married or single? Married with two children. Married with two. Okay, what's your income? Uh, 60. 60000 How about your wife's income? Um, Stay-at-home mom. All right, so 60000 is the family income. And uh, what kind of 401k plan do you have? What, do you, what are your options? Um, there is uh, a growth fund, an international fund, a bond fund, and a GIC. All right, let's look at the rest of your picture first, Scott. What do you have in your personal investment portfolio aside from this? Um, two IRAs with about 30000 in it. All right. Um, mutual funds with about 8000 All right. Uh, maybe a thousand dollars or so in cash. I got a uh, rental property that that's about a hundred dollars a month. What's the value of the rental property? Uh, seventy-five thousand. The mortgage on it? Uh, fifty. Do you get twenty-five thousand equity there? Yes. I think I'd get rid of that one. By the way, it's, it looks like it's hurting you. I don't like the way things are stacking up because you haven't accumulated much, and and I, at least I see twenty-five thousand of equity there. I think I'd try and unload that one. Okay. Uh, what else you got? Is that about it? Uh, other than equity in our home and... Don't count that one. Equity in vehicles. Don't count that one. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, last question is, is expenses. You're bringing home... Say, you're making 60000 What are your living expenses running? Uh, probably probably 3000 a month. All right. Well, here's what it tells me. If you're, ma- if you're spending 3000 a month, that's 36000 a year. Out of sixty. if I... Uh, Somewhere the rest of it is not all going to taxes, no, which means that somewhere there's a hole in the bucket because uh-huh. that's twenty four thousand left over, and I don't think you're paying twenty four thousand in taxes. Well, we do two hundred a month into the mutual funds that I mentioned earlier. All right, um, two different funds. Okay, what I think I what I think you should do before you solve the four hundred one k question, I think you need to meet with a certified financial planner and focus on a living expense analysis to determine your net margin. That number at the office, by the way, is 919-872-7000. Once you do that, or in the process, you want to have the planner help you break out your your expenses into three categories. What we call your uh, recurring monthly expenses. These are your RMEs. They recur every month. and it doesn't matter whether they're discretionary or not, but you just do them every month. You know what I mean? You eat out and so forth and so on. The things that happen every month. Those are your RMEs. Then you want to have your non-monthly fixed expenses, the things that don't recur every month, but you don't have any choice on them, like insurance payments and things like that. They either happen quarterly, semi-annual, or annual. Once you have those two numbers together, we want to add them on a yearly basis, divide by 12 to come back monthly, and that will give you the amount that's available to invest. With that number, I'd like you to split it about 50-50, 401k and personal. You see what I'm saying? Okay. Uh, that's the best I can do on the air, but I think that I'd want to see an equal amount going into the 401k that's going into your personal investment portfolio. Okay. And the goal is to have retirement funds equal the amount of non-retirement funds. Is that yes. Right? Yes. Because especially at age 32, you have a possibility of, golly, 
30 years before you may be able to touch this money, and we don't know what's coming in your future. So I do like the tax benefits. I'm sure, by the way, you're putting the money into the growth or the international, right? Yes, it'd yeah. be a part of the growth. Good. Okay. Don't touch the bond or the gig at your age. Right. I hope that helps, and if you need any more information or any more help, jot down my office number. It's 872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. And some people remember that as just USA 7000. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks for calling, and thanks for listening to the show, Scott. Bye-bye. Take care. Well, Doug, it's always wonderful to hear young people wanting to start out saving and investing, isn't it? You know, Linda, I am so happy that you brought that up because it wasn't always that way. When we began our radio program on WPTF in 1990, Mm -hmm. the, the listening public, the callers, the ones that came to our office for financial advice were 95% folks 50 years old and older, many of them 60 and older and so forth. But young people back at that time, they didn't think about financial planning. It's so rewarding to have more and more young couples, single and couples, in their 20s, in their 30s. We had lunch this afternoon with a young couple, and I was so, uh, it was so cute when she said, Gee, I'm going to be 30 years old pretty soon. <laughs> it's, it's really good that they are they're, they're, they're now coming to us looking for financial planning advice because they have one thing that none, none of our other clients ever have. Yes, it's so sweet. What is that? You've got time. <laughs> time. And time is the, magic com- the magical component of, do- of compounding. Yes. Things grow with time if you are positioned properly. Yes. So many young young couples started out as young students in college, and then they get married, and then they're planning their wedding, you know, the, planning the wedding, and then planning for um, um, the first that job. first job and that first, um, you know, time that they're going to contribute to their 401k. Well, that was where I was going to jump in and say, if along the way, even while they were a student, and usually this is our second or third generation level of clients or friends or family, Mm -hmm. but the clients who have trained their own children well, when they're students, they're setting aside money on a monthly basis. And when they're first employed, they're setting aside money on on a monthly basis. And when they get the first job promotion, and when they're planning to get married, and planning to buy a house, and planning to have a child, and the second, and the third, if all along the way that use of time is being maximized at $100 it'll soon be $1,000 a month and then it'll be $5,000 a month and by the deepest uh, or the 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 more the years when they're making the most money if it's ten thousand dollars a month we have several clients who have seen their their children and their grandchildren in 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 imbibe all this wisdom and then live their life in the way that we all wish that young people would see you have time on your side excellent all right, you're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Thank you for joining us. Have you seen the Lewis Financial Management website? It's easy to get to dougandlinda.com. That's dougandlinda.com. Well, Doug, Deborah, a reader wrote in with a question uh, about a IRA. And he asks, My wife asked, if she would still get my IRA money if I died. My initial answer was that she is my heir. So, yes, 
she would get the money. But then some questions came up as I thought about this further. Can she get my Social Security? Mine is quite a bit more than hers is. And would she continue to have an IRA required minimum distribution? Okay, well, if she predeceases or if he predeceases his wife, then she's going to continue to receive her Social Security benefit. And as a surviving spouse, she'll receive an additional amount based on his earnings record. But you don't want your spouse to inherit your IRA as an heir. You want to be sure that she is named as the beneficiary of your IRA. And there's a big difference. This way, upon your death as a spouse, she can choose to make your IRA her IRA. If you want her to inherit all of your IRA, you'll name her as 100% primary beneficiary. Now, making her the beneficiary of the IRA is different than having her inherit the IRA as a beneficiary IRA or an inherited IRA or a stretch IRA. They're two very different things. And of course, in our office, we spend a lot of time helping clients understand the difference between being the beneficiary of the IRA or not being the beneficiary, but taking the IRA that was belonging to the deceased spouse as a beneficiary IRA, otherwise known as inherited IRA or stretch IRA. Big tax differences. You should also name contingent beneficiaries. The contingent beneficiaries will inherit your IRA if the named primary beneficiary is deceased at the time of your death. Since the wife in this case is younger and over 59 and a half, as primary beneficiary, Upon your death, she's going to choose to become the owner of your IRA. This way, she can take her required minimum distribution based on her life expectancy and delay them until she's 70 and a half years old. Now, she can always take money out before 70 and a half, and she's not limited to the amount of the distribution. So, I, I agree with you, Doug. It's important that um, this person make sure that they designate the beneficiaries the way they want them, right? And then also list a contingent beneficiary because uh, uh, whatever the questions are that you may have if you're listening tonight, call us on the open line or call us at the office and give us your questions um, because that's what we do every day. Financial planning, answering questions about retirement, about financial planning, about investments, about estate. And you know what's funny when you say, um, when you bring up the world of estate, is many people are even unaware that the IRA or all retirement plans are not ruled by the will. That's right, Deborah. <laughs> you can leave instructions saying, I give everything that's inside my 401k or my IRA, and you can write these instructions in your will and say, I give them to my children or my wife, or whomever you would want, and it will not be adhered to. The only way to give that wealth to the person you desire is to leave it on what's called an official beneficiary designation, designation. form. Mm -hmm. And you need to know, is your beneficiary designation form up to date? Is it accurate? Is it where you would want those assets to go? The saddest thing I've seen is where a client comes to see me, and on their IRA beneficiary, it names a wife that he has been divorced from 
15 years earlier. Mm-hmm. If we had not seen that, lo and behold, right. present wife was out right. of the case. And Sorry. the will said, oh, I'm leaving it to my current <laughs> wife and my, and my children, and none of it would have been adhered to. It's got to have a current beneficiary form. Now, there's something else that we've done, Deborah, in our office, as you and I know, that's very creative, because in some cases, right. our clients don't want to dump on their children a, assu- huge. a huge amount, assuming that both husband and wife have passed away. Mm-hmm. And in that way, it, it, start, it starts being much more creative on how you distribute your wealth at the second spouse's death. You want to touch on it real oh, quickly? Oh, sure, Sorry. sure. We love uh, the design aspect of financial planning. And one of those designs is, well, how do you leave a large amount of wealth to children without destroying their lives? If it's coming from an IRA, and how do it, you do that? That's right. And if it's coming from an IRA, you can actually design it so that the IRA, the second beneficiary at the second spouse, death, it, the IRA would go into a r- children's trust. Now, this l- language is even foreign to most people. How do you create a children's trust? Well, you designate not the children being the recipient, but the trust. This and then, trust, the trust, then the trust has its own language, which we design for our clients, that says it will pay out course, the client helps us say what they want their kids to receive. Right. Here's a $2 million IRA, and they don't want their kids to be dumped, uh, have a $2 million dump on them. So they say, how about uh, the kids just get, say, $2,000 a month until they're 40 years old, and then they get maybe a half million dollars. And then and the, the client's working out with us what they'd like, and all those instructions can, yes, be put onto a trust. Right. But you got to get the money into, into the, the trust. trust. And if it's an IRA, it's got to be listed as the contingent beneficiary. That's right. And it's it's really the, the, the way to, again so that everyone listening understands is to underscore that the role that we play is helping you maintain as much control as possible over everything you've accumulated over a lifetime of working. And, you know, we don't know what tomorrow will bring and we only have today. So these are the kinds of important conversations that need to happen when you're out taking a walk with your dad or maybe sitting around having a cup of coffee with your sister. Talk about these matters that are so vitally important. That's right. And work with a competent advisor, a certified financial planner. Now, and write down your questions. That's right. Because these are the issues that need to be addressed if they don't happen by the end of this year. In the new year, this should be on your checklist. That's right. I want to underscore, Linda, something you just said. Write down your questions. We would like to remind our listening public that there is no financial question that you cannot bring us that we will not answer. That's right. We're not going to say we're only going to answer investment questions. No, we will answer income tax questions. We will answer budget questions. We will answer insurance needs questions. We will answer questions concerning your estate, wills or trust. We are offering and have offered for so many years comprehensive financial planning. That's right. And we are telling the public constantly, write down your questions, because when you come to see us face to face, you will get answers to every question you bring us. That's right. And it's it's advice on all of these topics, because all of these topics are intermingled and intertwined. It's very hard to answer one area of your life 
without answering another question and how it would impact and affect the other areas of your life. Because your life is indeed much more complicated than just one area. You have to remember your money matters because your financial future is at stake. Have a great week, everybody. You've been listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com and listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with the Lewis family.